Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to tell you about radium. A most peculiar and remarkable element because it does not behave as it should. The actor Rosamund Pike is the formidable Marie Curie in the new film Radioactive that charts her discovery of radium and her struggle against the male scientific establishment. Welcome, Madame Curie. I do not know why I'm here. You're here because the panel would like to consider you for Professor Curie's position at the university. You wish to give me Pierre's seat? We don't want to give you anything. We're interviewing a number of candidates and we thought due consideration should be given to you taking the post. And if I don't want the post? Then that is one less candidate for us to consider. I'd wish to be considered on my own merits. If you wish to give it to me out of pity, don't. If you wish to give it to me to follow some agenda or other, don't. Well, what say you... I have nothing else to say. It is not a job I want, but it is a job I will take. And if my science doesn't speak for itself with regard to my quality, then you have gravely misunderstood my science. I'm Rob Weinberg, and in this edition of Historical Fiction, we talk to Radioactive's director, Marjan Satrapi, and Marie Curie's biographer, Diana Preston, to find out more about the pioneering double Nobel Prize winning scientist. This is Historical Fiction. In the film Radioactive, the extraordinary story of Marie Curie's determination and her scientific career with her husband Pierre is imaginatively woven together with haunting visualisations of later developments that stemmed from their discoveries, from the development of X-ray and cancer treatments to the bombing of Hiroshima and the Chernobyl disaster. Radioactive cinema release was postponed by the COVID-19 crisis, but it's now been released on DVD and can be seen on Amazon Prime Video. But before the lockdown, History Hits' Laura McMillan spoke to Radioactive's director, the Iranian-born Marjan Satrapi, best known for the graphic novel and animated film Persepolis. Laura began by asking Marjan Satrapi what was it about Marie Curie's life that caught her attention to consider retelling it in a film. Well, besides that she is a great scientist who is the only person in the world that has actually two Nobel Prizes in two different sciences, but that put aside, what I love about her is the way she's unapologetic, the way she's complete, the way she's focused, and the way she does not make a statement about the fact that she's a woman, she has something to do. And these are the kind of things that we very easily accept in men that, you know, have kind of a difficult character would be very normal. When it comes to women, we always 
ask them to be still, you know, very mothery and very sweet and very uh, sentimental and whatever. And I like that she was not like that. And I know for sure she was not like that because I was not reading just the biography. I read her correspondences, I read her letters, her diary. So when you see the words that she's using herself, then you understand who she really was. Was there something particular about the context of Paris at this period which allowed her some freedom to develop? Of course, because, uh, you know, I know also by historical fact that her daughter, Irene, who started the same studies 30 years after, it was much more difficult for her. Because, you know, you have this window between 1900 and 1910 of freedom opening. So it was easier for her. And this sentence is actually not me who said it. I met with a granddaughter of Marie Curie. She's a 90 years old lady. And she told me, this is what my grandmother wrote to my mother. And you should write it because, you know, I mean, Marie Curie has never been part of any feminist movement. It's not that she would not give her support to the feminists. Obviously, she was equal to the men. And I don't think it was a question that she asked herself. But, you know, the, in the history of the women, you don't have all the time the advancement. It's not all the time you're not going forward always. Sometimes we come backwards. I understand you undertook particularly detailed research not only about Mary's career and her personal life, but also about the science of her discovery. Can you tell us more about what you uncovered in this research? When you are making a film about science, it's the minimum to know what you are talking about. Because, you know, I mean, science is not the subject of interpretation. It's not because I would like, you know, the atomic number of uranium to be something else, that it will become something else. This is the way it is. So you better know what you're doing because, you know, like all the small details, even though we have to cheat with the reality and we have to arrange it because we are not in a documentary and we are making a feature film, at least the basis of the thing, they have to be true. The science has to be exact. The spirit of the character you're talking about has to be the right spirit and not cheat about the spirit. Then you can arrange yourself with the dates and this and that and, you know, create some drama. But the base has to be true. But the science itself, yes, you have to know what you're talking about. Already, you know, just to give the direction to the actor, you know, what do you do when you're in a lab? So you have to know what is going on. In flash-forward sequences throughout the film, Mary's life is set within the context of the implications of what she'd discovered. Why did this story in particular lend itself to this treatment rather than a straight biopic? Well, a straight biopic has been already made two or four times. And then you have a television series, and then you have documentaries. Why is it interesting to make the same story again? It has been made so many times. But it's only interesting if you had another point of view. Now, the discovery of radioactivity in the world has changed the world. It's one of the most important discoveries of the beginning of the 20th century. When you make this discovery, the first thing is that you actually learn how to cure the cancer. Because at this time, the beginning of the 20th century, basically for 2,000 years from the ancient Greek, everybody knows the disease that is called cancer, but nobody knows how to treat it. And suddenly you have the treatment against the cancer that is used up to today, you know. But then you have 11 years after the death of Marie Curie, 39 years after the death of Pierre Curie, you have the first atom bomb. Is it a direct relationship between the scientists and the atom bomb? Of course not, because they just discovered the things that are already in the nature. But 
Is there no relationship between this discovery and atom bomb? Of course there is a relationship. And the relationship is the ethic of the human being. What do we do with the new discovery in the world? How do we deal with it? So it has more to do with us, the human beings, of the usage of what we have rather than the scientists themselves. The final scene of the film kind of highlights this complicated implication of the Curie's discovery and suggests, as you said, that Mary is not responsible for the ripple effects. To what extent, though, did these concerns and feelings of foreboding occupy Mary over the final years of her life? Everything that came, that was after she died. You listen to the speech of Pierre Curie in 1904 in Sweden. And he said that you know, radium in the hand of criminal can be a disaster. As example, he cited Nobel, which in his case, it was even not you know, a discovery. He invented dynamite. That was the beginning of the train and railways. So instead of all these men breaking their back, you know, making holes in the tunnel, we can help them with the dynamite. So the outcome of that is what we kill people with the dynamite. This is it. And he says that. So somehow they're so intelligent that they have these flashes. They know that everything can be misused. But you know, if you go in this direction, you know, the first man that discovered the fire, he's responsible of everything bad that happened in the world. Yeah, but he's also responsible of everything good that happened in the world. Is what we do with what we have. And the science is just the curiosity of the human being discovering the law and the secret of the nature is nothing more than that. And Mary's personal life was not without complication. The vivid portrayal of vitriolic public anger Mary experiences due to her affair and her status as a Polish immigrant is highlighted in the film. How did she deal with these public outpourings? It's never a very easy moment to live with because basically the French culture is based, all the literature is based in lots of who is sleeping with who and all this affair and all of that. So frankly, nobody needed a Polish woman to come and teach them. She didn't invent it having an affair. The problem is that it's two things. It's a historical context. When we are in 1911, that is three years before the First World War, and you have all this very nationalistic, populistic movement that are extremely fashionable, a little bit like today in the world. And the result of nationalism, populism, has always been war. So, you know, we have to be aware of that even in today. So you have the historical context, but then you also you have the fact that she's a woman and then she's Polish, but then she's very successful in what she does. We should not forget that when she had the chair of Pierre Curie to become the first female professor in the Sorbonne. A journal wrote, now the women, they will end up being considered as human beings. This is just 100 years ago, you know, this is the way it was. What limitations does the form of a film put on telling an individual's entire life story? You have to have an angle. So, you know, there are pieces of the life that you don't talk about. I mean, she has, was very good friends with Einstein and this and that. So, you know, that has to be reduced, you know, to a photograph of a science conference. This is it. You cannot put everything. How did you go about selecting the most important moments? Is the script. You know, the screenplay comes, the choices they already make. Then, you know, we work around them because, oh, suddenly I will have an information that I will think, oh, is extremely important to put in. But basically, you know, you have, you know, you have to have the meeting of two incredible minds, Pierre Curie, who is a great physicist, with Marie Curie, who is a great chemist. 
and you know this explosive meeting that leads you know the love story basically and their discovery and their death is the same story it never happens normally somebody has make a discovery their love life has nothing to do with that and then their death is a third subject here you have the same story all over so is that how you lose your this beloved one how you make up and how you have to fight to survive and you have to fight you know with the pain and then you know how you reinvent yourself during the first world war which is quite immense what she did you've mentioned her experiences as a radiographer in world war 1 are there any parallels that you drew on between mary's experience as a woman scientist at the turn of the 20th century and your own experience growing up in Iran and witnessing the start of the Islamic revolution there? Well, I mean, she's a genius and I'm not. You know, as you know, I don't have two Nobel Prizes and these things. But there are things that I understand in her, let's say, is more like that, you know, like we arrive around the same age in Paris. Both of us, we speak French before arriving to Paris. And the reason is that we cannot do what we want to do in our own country. So we have to go somewhere else of doing it. That I do understand. The fact that it's okay not to be likable. I don't like everyone. So mathematically, there is no reason why everybody should like me. So if they don't like me, that's okay. And not always apologize for you, who you are and where you are standing because you're a human being and you have ideas and you want to do things. There's a few things that I I do understand, so it becomes easy for me because I'm not like this uh, very sentimental woman who is, you know, like sentimental about everything. But I basically I don't know any sentimental woman to tell you the truth. I think it's an idea that you know, like this is how a woman should be, but in reality, I mean, uh, I look at my friends, my family. I mean, all of us first we have a brain, so yeah, I think it's. It's more of a fantasy than a reality. You're back. I am. And was it everything you hoped it would be? Yes. Did you get all the acclamation you felt you deserved? My speech was entirely about you and your work. But I'm just the wife, isn't that right? What have I ever treated you I like? I am the wife of Pierre Curie. You said you didn't care about professional accomplishment. You only cared about achievement. I was the one who fought. And I'm doing what a wife should do, giving you children and keeping your home. We should get out of Paris. Paris pollutes us both. How both dare you? How dare you take my brilliance? How dare you take their applause? We should get out and get some air. I am one of those who believe with Nobel no, that mankind no, clear. derives more no, good than No, I made it absolutely clear, Marie, that it was our work. You stole my brilliance and you made it your own. You should never have gone without me. You'd just given birth. You were too ill to travel and you didn't even want to go. What was I supposed to do? This is bigger than both of us, Marie, and someone had to be there to represent the achievement. No. You never did understand. You were angry because they didn't want you as one of their own. Oh, you fathom me so well. I was angry because they were wrong, but I never wanted any of this. I just wanted to do good science. And did I make you a better scientist? Are we not better scientists together? Of course we are. Because you have one of the finest minds I've ever met. It just so happens that my mind is finer. <laughs> your main problem, Marie, is your arrogance. My main problem is you. And the fact that I love you so utterly. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So I'm joined now by Diana Preston author of Before the Fallout, From Marie Curie to Hiroshima. Diana, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Now, you've had the chance to watch Radioactive. How do you think Rosamund Pike's portrayal of Marie Curie reflects what you know about the real Marie Curie? Well, I've always admired Rosamund Pike. I think she's a formidable actor. And I think Marie Curie was clearly a formidable woman. And I think they're a very good match. I think Rosamund Pike brings to us that very driven, very complex, very brilliant, sometimes troubled woman that was Marie Curie. Marie Curie was famous for saying during a lifetime that you must only be interested in things, not people. But what I found interesting as well about Rosamund Pike's portrayal is that she takes us beneath that protective carapace that I think Marie Curie built around herself to show something of a more human, more vulnerable side that is sometimes in the film very touching and I think does ring true when you look at the story of Marie Curie's life. It's a fairly rapid gallop through her life. Did you feel that it covered all the major points or were there some significant events or stories about her that were missing from the film? I did feel that there were certain aspects of her very early life that were missing, which, when we look at them, help explain that very spiky, very driven woman, absolutely dedicated to science, that we're presented with at the start of the film. I mean, the film does show us how, when Marie Curie, back in Warsaw, was still very young, her mother died and how that affected her. But it didn't show us two other very formative parts of her life at that stage, Firstly, the political side of growing up in Poland at that time. You know, Poland, that much divided, partitioned country. Marie Curie and her family grew up in a part of Poland dominated by Russia. All aspects of Polish culture, even the Polish language, were suppressed. So to get an education in Polish in Warsaw, 
where Marie's family lived, was difficult and dangerous. And Marie took part in something called the Flying University, which was literally what it said. People risking imprisonment, all sorts of sanctions, to go and teach other young Polish people secretly, clandestinely, in attics and cellars. Because if the authorities had found out, they would have been arrested and disappeared. The other side, apart from the politics that I think shaped Marie very much when she was young, was poverty. You know, they had been a relatively well-to-do family, but her father, not very good with money by ill-judged investments, managed, when she was still very young, to lose most of the family money. As a result, we have Marie, for a number of years, being a governess to a family near Warsaw. The reason she did that was to raise money to pay for her sister Bronya to go to Paris to study to become a doctor, and the plan was then for Bronya having established herself as a doctor, to be able to fund Marie to come to Paris to study science. So by the time Marie actually arrives in Paris, her life had already been such a struggle on so many levels. And that, I think, explains why she's perhaps quite as spiky, as difficult a woman as she appears. Being a woman itself was difficult in the world of science at that time. She seems at one point to resent her husband taking credit for the discoveries they made together, do you think that was a real element of her character? That, when I was studying Marie Curie and her relationship with her husband, Pierre, wasn't an aspect that particularly struck me, although it's absolutely true that she was proprietorial about her work and her discoveries, and Pierre himself acknowledged that had it not been for her drive and determination, those radioactive elements, radium and polonium, would not have been discovered. He said it was Marie's idea to have all those tons of pitch blend that we see in the film being delivered to their courtyard. And Marie herself is absolutely right. You know, she stood there in her smock, pounding away at the oar to break it down you know, day after day. It said she lost a stone in weight doing this to reduce it down and reduce it down until she could extract the tiny amount that would be the element that she suspected was there. Pierre Curie himself said, you know, well, frankly, if it had been left to me, I would never have bothered. So we can see why she felt that it was very much her own work, that she was the inspiration, the catalyst for it. But I didn't have the sense in my own researches that she felt personal antagonism towards Pierre for trying to appropriate her work. Though, as you say, of course, to be a scientist at that time and a woman was very difficult. A typical reaction of one senior scientist I came across about employing women in his lab was that the whole thing was just hopeless. You know, obviously, with their long hair, they just incinerate themselves <laughs> leaning over a Bunsen burner. The attitude to women in science was humiliating and patronising and ridiculous. She had to be very hard-shelled to cut her way through that. You've been frowning at that all week. I'm observing. What are you looking for? I find it easier to observe when I'm not talking. I measure uranium and I discover less radiations than I do in its ore. The ore is more powerful than the element. Exactly. And I can't there must be work. some anomaly in the results. I've run the same test six times. I get identical results. My instinct is that there is another element that's skewing the results. You think you've found an undiscovered element? If you're laughing at me, then I'm... No, I'm not laughing at you. That's exciting. You're measuring equipment's useless. It's worked perfectly fine for me if so far. If we're going to get the figures you need, we need something that's capable of extreme precision. There is no we. You need something that's capable of measuring microscopic aspects of no, energy. No, please, yes. no, yes. no, no. Yes, I have an idea. Follow me. 
Now, the director, Marjan Satrapi, said there that this is really a biography of radioactivity, hence the title of the film Radioactive. There are these dreamlike flash-forwards to the implications of Marie Curie's discoveries for the treatment of soldiers during the war, the discovery of X-ray, the bombing of Hiroshima. How accurately do you think does the film get the science right? Because it's not an easy thing to get across to an audience who are probably not very knowledgeable about it, but they still want to be entertained as well. I think the film conveys Marie Curie's work on identifying radium and polonium brilliantly. I think we see it very much as it was, even in the physical surroundings in which it happened. And I think what it shows us very clearly is Marie Curie starting to push the door open on the subatomic world. I think Marie Curie was rather more casual about the potential health risks from working with radioactive materials than the film sometimes suggests. For example, she told worried assistants in her laboratory that they could protect their health if they just took a little bit more outdoor exercise and maybe if they ate a little bit more liver. It was found in more recent times that her own cookery books are actually still quite radioactive. With the flash-forwards that you mentioned to the bombing of Hiroshima and everything, we see the ultimate conclusion of the end of that atomic journey. The film suggests in places, I think, that Marie was anticipating the highly destructive conclusions that her work might lead to. I think in her lifetime, given the complexities of the science and how far it had developed, that would not really have been the case. But, of course, she laid the foundations on which many things later became possible. And one thing which did strike me as well about the science in the film was that it implied that really X-rays came out of Marie Curie's work. In fact, X-rays had been invented before she began her work on radium and polonium. They go back to a German physicist, Wilhelm Röntgen, and we actually see X-rays being used for diagnosis on the battlefield in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, useful for identifying where bullets have entered or shrapnel wounds. But what Marie Curie definitely did do, which is very well conveyed in the film, was that she pioneered mobile radioactive units, driving out onto the battlefield. She even had her own little grey-painted Renault with a red cross on the side that she would drive across the battlefield to find where she was most needed. And I don't think she did have that phobia of things to do with hospitals, that the film suggests. You know, we see her having a phobia of hospitals because her mother died in one, and she remembers that very vividly, and all the horror associated with it. But I think that wouldn't actually have been part of her character. Even if she'd felt it deep down, she would never have shown that on the surface. Her daughter also plays quite a big role in their efforts during the war. And then her daughter herself goes on to win Nobel Prize, doesn't she? Yes, with her husband, Frédéric Joliot. They become the Joliot-Curies, taking Marie Curie's work forward. You're absolutely right. I mean, when she was still a young woman, she helped her mother during the First World War with the X-ray units. She set up a number of field units in hospitals, and it's reckoned that her mother and daughter probably helped a million soldiers. And then later on, of course, dedicated to science. Who wouldn't be growing up in a household like the Curies? She married Frédéric Joliot, as depicted in the film, and they went on to discover what became known as artificial radioactivity, how to force stable elements to start releasing radioactivity by forcing them to start to decay. That was an important step on what would ultimately happen. Later on, on the eve of the Second World War, it would be the Joliot-Curies who would conduct research suggesting 
but a self-sustaining chain reaction, which of course was essential to actually create an atomic bomb, might actually be possible. That was yet to be proved, but again, that was a part of their discoveries. So they took the journey on that Marie Curie had embarked upon. When you were researching your book before the fallout, you had the chance to interview the last living scientist to have worked with Marie Curie. What insights did you glean from him about her life and her character? Yes, I was very fortunate to have the chance to meet him. This was Bertrand Goldschmidt, who, as a very young scientist in 1933, arrived in Paris at the Curie Laboratory, terrified, I think, of meeting Marie Curie. And indeed, she was formidable. What he told me was that La Patronne, as she was called, was this little tiny old lady looking much, much older than her 65 years, all dressed in black, but still very clearly a formidable influence in the laboratory. And uh, she looked at this young man, Bertrand Goldschmidt, and told him firmly, you will be my slave in chemistry for the next couple of years. He said she was absolutely remarkable and so very much in control, even though we're talking of an elderly woman suffering from problems with cataracts, no longer able to hold things in a radium-damaged hands. She was quite clumsy at experimental work at this late stage in her life, but still very much the dominant force of the uh, Curie Laboratory. Radioactive isn't the first film to portray Marie Curie. There have been other biopics and many TV series do you think any of them come close to the real person as you understand her? I've seen a number in the past sort of films, documentaries. I have a vague recollection. I think Greer Garson, even a long time ago, took a crack at it. And I think Isabelle Huppert. But I think this is the best representation of the Marie Curie that, from my research, I recognise. There was so much of the portrayal during the film that rang true to me. The utter determination, the dedication to science, but also the human side underneath, the vulnerable chinks that Marie Curie herself would have hated us to perceive. So Pierre Curie is killed quite early on in a traffic accident, and then the film suggests that she goes on to have an affair which sort of brings her into kind of disgrace and dishonour. There's very much truth in that, clear evidence that she did begin a relationship with Paul Langevin and it caused an absolute scandal just as we see in the film and it became a focus for all the things which people had never liked about Marie Curie. Here we have this absolute outsider, a woman who dares to be a scientist, a foreigner. She's arrived in Paris from Poland. So all of a sudden you have the woman who'd been regarded pretty much as you know, the Vestal Virgin of Radium being derided in the press being attacked on all sides. But I found it interesting in the scientific community, the people who really knew her work and respected her, how many of those scientists came to her defence during the scandal. Albert Einstein, who admired Marie Curie's brilliance, he said on one occasion that she had um, the soul of a herring. But when he saw her under attack, he defended her, as did the New Zealand scientist, of course, who did so much on the road of building up the subatomic picture, Ernest Rutherford. He came to her defence as well. And I found it interesting that she could inspire so much loyalty in others in the scientific community at the time that the public were really baying for her blood and the press were baying for her blood. There was even a duel fought between Paul Langevin and the editor of a Paris newspaper. They met in a park in Paris. They levelled their pistols. They didn't actually fire at each other, but things came to that pass. It was all very dramatic, and it caused a huge storm. And I was glad to see how the film actually handled that and the effect on Mary, which I think was to make her close in even more on herself. 
Again, it was evidence that you shouldn't allow your emotions ever to dominate. You must suppress those and concentrate on what mattered, which was science. What do you think her legacy is today? For me, the chief legacy, having looked at the work of other scientists who came afterwards, was to be a pathfinder for them, to show that in spite of all her achievements, you know, double Nobel Prize winner and an icon to those that followed, other female scientists in the 20s, 30s, 40s still had to struggle to get proper facilities, to be recognised, to get recognition. I see a direct link between Marie Curie and the physicist Lisa Meitner, who in exile in Sweden was the scientist who actually interpreted experiments in Germany that proved that the nucleus of uranium had been fissioned. This was the, a critical step on the road to the bomb. It would be her male colleague, Otto Hahn, back in Germany, who would receive the Nobel Prize for that, not Lisa Meitner. But I see Marie Curie as being the torchbearer for all those women who came later, even though they still had to struggle. Diana Preston, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you very much for inviting me. Historical Fiction Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.